love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, I was listening to last week's episode on my run the other day because, yes, I do love listening to us chat um, a second and sometimes a third time. And I was curious, did you get your snow tires? They are being installed as we speak, Haley, actually. And it is good timing because we do have a little bit of a winter storm moving through, I thought. It was going to even jeopardize our recording today, but it didn't. And so I will, I will have the full report, I guess, after the new year um, for us on the snow tire situation. But I did have something exciting happen in the last week, Haley. Um, I took a play from, or a page from your playbook and was like, you know what? I'm going on a trip this week. And I went to Vegas with my parents and Matt. (laughs) Um, My dad had got these Garth Brooks tickets he's doing shows in Vegas and I'm a big Garth I'm a big country fan in general but I definitely spent a lot of the 90s listening to Garth Brooks I don't know if anyone else I was trying to explain this to some of my friends but they were younger and they didn't remember like Columbia House um I don't know like uh I don't even know what you would call it but you would pay a penny and you would get all these CDs back in the mail in the 90s and it was probably some sort of scheme, but I think my dad was very diligent about like whatever you had to do to only pay the penny. So we never had to actually pay more. Like I'm sure they duped everyone else into like accidentally paying a lot more, but I just remember always getting these like tons and tons of Garth Brooks CDs through Columbia house. So I'm sure hopefully some listener out there can relate to this in some way. And anyway, I relate. I was oh, you do? Okay. I'm a Montana, you... Montana child of the nineties. Yeah. I didn't have a CD player though until I was quite old. Oh, no. so I had, I had the cassette tapes. Um, and I definitely paid more than a penny, but I do remember like my, uh, fresh horses cassette that I was like, a seven-year-old singing about my friends in low places. (laughs) It, I mean, it was pretty funny to now be like singing these songs and be like, oh, be like that summer, right? I mean, some of these songs are like really risque for, like you said, the children of the 90s that we were probably like belting these out at the top of our lungs, but it was cool. He actually brought out his wife, Trisha Yearwood too, and she sang a few songs, which was very exciting. And he was, Haley, I will say it was very interesting. My only two concerts of this year have been Taylor Swift and Garth Brooks. I think my only two concerts like of, of note. And I will say that after seeing Taylor Swift and her fitness for her mega tour performance, um, Garth Brooks could probably take a page out of her playbook because he was, I mean, he's probably in his sixties, I guess. And so, but and he like, he looks good. He's, you know, making it happen, but I will say there was a clear aerobic fitness difference between Taylor and her performances and Garth and his performances. Well, you read about Taylor's training routine, which I, after seeing her in the era show, I was like, okay, what I want to know what she's doing because it was one of the most incredible athletic feats I've ever seen. And that of course, time person of the year, Taylor Swift and the article came out, which I just thought was so well done and so good, but she talked about her, her training and it was intense. Yeah, I think, but it's brilliant too. Like I would love to be the trainer who was like, you know what? We're just going to have you hop on that treadmill for like three hours a day and sing your set list as you like adjust the speeds a little bit. But 
And it's crazy it worked. Well, it's not crazy that it worked, right? I mean, that makes pretty much sense, I guess. But it is, it's it's fun to get to have that insight and like wrap your head around literally having trained for that. And it's good to know that she did train for that and she's not superhuman, right? Um, but I the other part could, that was great. Yeah, the other go. part where she talked about her recovery, how she, um, you know, lays in bed and eats. That makes yes. me feel better. I actually, um, when I. Uh, was having, you know, a hard day the other day. And I found myself in bed eating ice cream. I was like, I'm just pulling a Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> you were just taking, taking pages out of everyone's playbooks these days. I love it. And, um, but so I did go, I did get to go on a little, um, adventure in Vegas. I will say that I forgot that people smoked indoors in places <laughs> in the world still. So that was interesting. It was, um, it's always interesting to kind of escape from the little bubble where I live now. And, um, where did fun. you stay and where was the concert? We stayed at the Alara, which is like a Hilton property, I guess. And, um, it was really nice. I mean, I will say I've always had good experiences staying in Vegas with like how the hotels are fancy and that's very fun. Um, and then the concert was at Caesars. And so we, yeah, went to Caesars. I, I definitely, I do love like playing slot machines. Um, I hate losing money though. So it ends pretty quickly usually, but I only ended up $40 down, which is pretty good. And what I was really even like dead even. And then I was like, I saw this slot machine that just blared Dolly Parton. And I was like, oh, I have to play that. And so $40 later, I was like, all right, Alyssa, you're done. Uh, but not too bad for some, some good fun in Vegas. I feel like when you're there, you have to give it a shot. Um, I and, do want to yeah. put in one defense of Garth Brooks because <laughs> I, I have actually seen him in concert and oh. I saw him in like, it was like 2007 or 2008. Um, right after college, I went with my friend Kelly to uh, Kansas city when they had just opened the new, um, like stadium there. So it was and like stadium arena. Yeah. It was okay. arena. So okay. it was like about, I think it was like indoors and okay. the tickets were $25. Whoa. But you had to be like, um, you had to be a resident of either Missouri or Kansas to get tickets. <laughs> but luckily one of our teammates, Katie was from Kansas. Oh so gosh. Katie helped us get the tickets. And he was like, one of the initial artists that was like trying to, you know, beat the scalpers. And this is like earlier days of the internet. And so he like added one show. He didn't get tickets. Then he added, he kept adding shows. And so he did like eight nights in a row. Oh, wow. And it was until I saw Taylor Swift in the Eras tour, it was the most incredible show I'd ever seen. And um, again, this is 15 years ago. And so a little bit different, but uh, it was like three hours long. And the last hour, I think he played a lot of covers and it was so cool. And, and then I'll also give him credit because I've watched the, you know, show he did in Central Park with like a million people there. And I mean, there were his aerobic ability at that time, his training, I think was a little bit better, but that was again, I mean, when it's been like, 25 years. You got to give him some credit. No, I, I will. And I will say down a bit. on a similar vein, you know, Matt had seen him in the stadium tour too. And so, and he said it was the best concert I've ever been to. I'm absolutely going again. Right. Like he was not going to pass it up. He said, this was a little bit tamer, but, um, Garth definitely Garth was, I will also say to his credit, Garth did come out and perform, even though he was clearly sick, he had a cold. Oh, and so, no. I mean, Haley, it was like, I mean, a little worrisome because we were like, how sick is he? I mean, there are times when he was like hitting his chest a little bit, like to like loosen up the phlegm, literally. I mean, he was, he was clearly in a rough place, but he came out and performed. And I will say like, there was a huge curve, right? Like he, it, it was working out of him. I think he was throwing back some drinks while he was performing. He said that was helping a little bit. Like 
But then I think the time where Trisha came out and because it's not guaranteed, I think his tour is called like plus one. So it's and then it's like a maybe it says like maybe he'll bring someone out. Right. So I think he definitely was like, she's coming out today to buy me some time. So he could like probably go get some of the phlegm out of him and then come back. And then he was like, so he definitely closed really strong. And I will also give him credit for even, I mean, he could have canceled the show and then yeah. that would have been really sad, but he was fun. He was, it made him more interactive maybe I think with us too. And I'm, I will say it, obviously that would play into like overall ability, aerobic fitness and stuff too. So I will, I shouldn't judge too harshly. <laughs> I've never seen a show in Vegas and I mean, it sounds really fun. So I'm glad you got to do that. You know, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Garth Brooks and I mean, for, I think for recording artists in general and, and people who go on tour and just like an appreciation for how hard that is. And I'm thankful for them putting their art in the world and performing it like that. But I'm glad you got um, a quick little trip to Vegas. That sounds super fun. No, it was, it was a good time. And so now back in back in Vermont, back looking at some snow, although it's not really hanging on too much these days. How is how's Bozeman? What's going on in your life? We have snow. We got snow finally over the weekend. Um, we I mean, we haven't for a while, so the skiers are not exactly happy, but it has been nice for me. I think um, I try not to like gloat too much, but um, the snow is here, just a little dusting and it's not too crazy cold. So I'm just enjoying it. Cowboys super happy. Um, and you know, I'm just like plugging along. I finally feel like I've maybe turned a corner in like life <laughs> where I finally feel like I'm getting things a little bit more together just in time for the holidays and the new year, which is exciting. Um, that, like I said, that time magazine article, <laughs> Taylor Swift made me feel really good about myself because I think there were quotes in there about, you know, how she embraces the cringe and, um, accepts herself and encourages other women too, as well. I mean, especially women, women and men, but I think that that's one of the things that makes her so special. And so it was, it was great to revisit some of her quotes in that article. And then hopefully I'm going to put that into practice in the new year with myself, just having a little more appreciation for myself and where I am in life and not worrying so much about past decisions that maybe weren't the smartest. You just got to move on and learn from our mistakes, right? Definitely. Definitely. And Haley, I mean, unless, unless we have anything else to catch up on, I think that's actually a great lead in to our guest for today. Oh, yay. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's hear it. Yeah. So Haley, this week, um, I talked to Shannon Mulcahy. She is a runner and an iron woman herself, and she's also a mental performance coach. So she might give you some skills and like ways to kind of wrap your head around the new year and, you know, positive thinking and motivation and all that stuff. Um, she comes to us specifically in this episode with tips about sw swim anxiety, which I know everyone loves. Um, also goal setting and talks about how mental skills coaching is something that even coaches need coaching on. Shannon's worked with a range of folks from elite athletes to the army, as well as some of the athletes that I coach. And it was fun to draw on her range of experience and learn about mental performance. So we're going to hear from Shannon next after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Shannon. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hey, Alyssa. Great to be here. So our like circles, I feel like have overlapped for quite a while. And I think it was triathlon that like, and maybe a Baltimore connection even. I'm not sure. I think that like yeah. 
first overlapped us. Um, and you are a mental skills coach. I've known you and now I feel like I've known you for like forever. It seems like, um, but I'm excited to actually, actually get to know you more in depth here and talk to you more about, um, what you're doing as a mental skills coach specifically for athletes, endurance athletes, triathletes, um, all of the folks that are listeners, you know, the buckets that they probably classify themselves into. Um, but first, you know, you come to the profession of being a mental skills coach from an angle of being an athlete yourself. So can you tell us a little bit about your athletic background and, you know, how, you know, how you see yourself as an athlete today? Yeah. So I think that's like a good intro in that. I want to say we first overlapped. I think when I was in college, I actually feel like at one point when you were in Baltimore, I think I asked you for like a running route or something. Okay. <laughs> and that was one of the first things I remember, like one of those awkward, like, you know, you're kind of in the area. I need a route or something. I just remember like something kind of vaguely around that. And um, in Baltimore, you definitely need to ask around for running routes. So <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I grew up uh, competitive swimming and that is very linked in my, uh, my journey to sports psychology, um, both in needing sports psychology and then as well getting into the field professionally in that I swam at a pretty high level up through like probably freshman year of high school. And then I think as kind of crazy as this sounds, maybe not, I don't know, like I, I knew how to win, but I didn't know how to lose. And when you're young in a lot of different sports, you see a lot of growth and progress, partly not solely, but partly in just like, you're getting older, you're getting stronger, you're getting bigger. A lot of progression is very natural. And like, once you kind of hit that plateau-ish, um, when you start getting like 14, 15, that middle high school range, like I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to deal with setbacks in any capacity. And like, so much of my identity, unfortunately, was tied to, you're a swimmer, you're a fast swimmer. And then as soon as I was like, either losing or adding time, it just like, it went downhill very fast for me. Um, and so I, I stayed in swimming up through like my freshman year of college, I got really injured. Um, that's kind of how I transitioned more into, into running since, since my departure from competitive swimming, like officially, uh, freshman year of college I've done, I've been into running triathlon, cycling, open water swimming, back to pool swimming, a little bit of ultra. It's kind of ebbed and flowed throughout all of the endurance uh, like sports, I get a little bit bored. So I do like two years of one and then I just go to a different one, I think. <laughs> but yeah, that's the best part of being a multi-sport athlete is that you always feel like you can just kind of, either, you know, tap back into something else, pick up a new skill or a new sport. I love that. Yep. Um, and then, okay. So what about professionally? So, you know, you said that you've studied sports psychology. I said that you're a mental skills coach. Now, how did it develop? Because I, I do feel like, you know, people have kind of had the news flash in recent years that like, oh, mental skills are exactly that skills, right? So that was clearly something you've known now for a while. And so how did you kind of create that path for yourself to be doing this now? Yeah, so I know, uh, kind of going back to that, like, more pivotal moment for me in high school, like, I just, I remember reaching out to my, my swim coach and just being like, I need help. Like I'm struggling. And I didn't even know that sports psychology was a field. Like I knew nothing about it. I knew he would give us tapes on visualization and some mm -hmm. stuff that really was mental skills, but I didn't, it never was presented or I never paid attention or saw it in a way that was like, this is a legitimate 
thing that lots of people do. This is a career. This is a path. It just, I think more so came across as like, this is this thing that my coach is saying, but it felt more like, almost like he made it up type thing. Um, and I think just realizing that something clicked and I was like, oh, like if I knew this earlier and had taken this more seriously or really like got it. And I, I know like he gave me a couple of books to read and I, the more I learned, the more I was like, just, it, it just, it's one of those where like it clicked. It just made so much sense to me. And then, you know, I remember looking into like, is this something I can study in college? Like, how do I make this a career? I just, I loved it and was like accidentally like being the mental skills coach on my team to like the younger athletes and stuff. I'd see them like nervous behind the blocks and I'd be like, I can help. <laughs> like, So it felt very natural in taking that path. Um, so I, I kind of designed my entire undergrad around sports psychology, found a master's program and just kind of went, went all in on sports psychology. And I will say, I feel like I say this a lot, but there really are two different sides to sports psychology. There's the more clinical, uh, clinical psychology side of things, which is great. And I think it's a very, very valuable side of the sport. There's also the side that I fall into more, which is like the mental skills side. Um, I like that we typically work together a lot. And like, I work with a lot of sports psychologists in, you know, with athletes with the more clinical depression or anxiety or eating disorders and working in that collaborative approach. I love being in the more applied side and the skill side where I get to help athletes, um, whether it's more with their performances or even just trying to maybe prevent some of the more clinical things going on and realizing like there's so much that we have power over and control over and realizing that and learning that you can do something about it and implement these as skills and tools, I think is really, really transformative for people. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And it's, it's very fun. I will say that. <laughs> no, I love it. I love discussing this kind of stuff because I, I, you know, I know I, in my personal life, I get asked a lot when people find out some of the things that I've done, like, how could you possibly do that? You know, it's like crazy. And, you know, I think people think it's like this superhuman uh, like ability a lot of times. And I'm like, no, like, actually I've just like, I had this realization that it literally, like it can be trained, right. Mental toughness can be trained and kind of getting your, your brain to like work harder for you. Right. Is a real life skill. So, um, that said, I do not have the extensive background that you have in learning exactly why that is. So that is um, why you have seen several of my athletes over time here to help them with mental skills. And, you know, what can someone expect when they sign up with you as a mental skills coach? Is it, you know, are most people targeting one race and you work with them through a race? Are they um, is it like a season long thing? Can it vary? I mean, that's one side of it. And then I'm also curious and like, can you explain, you know, do they have homework? Like what kind of exercises, I guess, in terms of that practice are, could they expect if they have, if they go to you? Yeah, no, those are, those are both two good questions. So I, I initially did the version that I think most people yeah, in a similar field as me or in sports psychology will do where it's like, you know, a five session or 10 session package and like you schedule them as needed. I very quickly got away from that and have found that the more ongoing approach of, uh, you know, most of my athletes I meet with either twice a month or every week, depending on like which package they go with and stuff. But the consistency helps in that sometimes life gets in the way. I fully get it. Um, but when you have the freedom to be like, well, I'm gonna, I could schedule one a month. It's really hard for myself or another professional to really get to know you as the athlete and hear just about like 
how was your tempo run last week? Like it, some of it doesn't feel super, super significant, but it, it, you know, it is. And it lets, it lets me just know like what's kind of going on with you. So I, I really believe in an ongoing approach. Um, it, some athletes I see for three months, that's what I start with is like just a minimum of three months because you can't really change your, your mind or rewire it in a week. Unfortunately, I wish we could, I wish it was that simple. It's not. Um, so three months is minimum, but like, I have some people who are like, we're just going to kind of keep going on an ongoing basis because I like having someone for support. I like having someone that when I do have a bad run, when I do have different things that come up, I want to be able to talk to, um, you know, some people it's, I guess it a little bit depends on, on the sport, but like, I think, I guess a lot of people go into this thinking I need to have a very specific goal that I'm working towards. Like I want to qualify for Kona. I want to BQ. I want to hit sub four. And what I, what I've noticed is a lot of the athletes come because they're like, Oh, I, I haven't been able to do that thing. And then they start to realize, Oh, I actually really just want to work on like building more confidence or being able to have the tools to handle all these, these different situations. And it's like, a lot of times we hit the goal in the, in the process of it, but it's, I think in just realizing like, oh, it's really more about me and my relationship to to sport and what I'm doing and being like a happy athlete in doing these things. Um, so like the reason for mental skills, I think can vary a lot. If some people that are injured, how do we deal with overcoming injury as a college athlete? Like that's a doozy. That's hard. <laughs> that's that's a hard process to be in for sure. Um, and then on like more of the homework side of things, I, I do assign I don't know that I love to call it homework, but um, I, <laughs> I give them. Yeah, I was that kid who loved homework, so I totally call it homework. But yes. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I really, when I am talking to like the high school and college athletes, I try to call it anything other than homework. Like <laughs> I need this to be done. Um, but no, so I give them like a daily training journal that they it's optional to fill out. Really, of uh, it's if it's going to help you do it. If it's just one more task, like don't don't get overwhelmed by it. But it's all framed from like the mental skills side. And then there's a weekly check-in that you, we do fill out. And then based on your goals, what we're working on, um, you know, where you are in your training cycle, where you are, you know, what you put out in that uh, weekly check-in, I'll send you some different like mental skills activities. Some of them are meditation, some are visualization, some are, let's write out that pre-race plan. Like, what do you actually want to do? And some of it's just the accountability of like doing the thing that you know, you should be doing mm -hmm. or you want to do, but like, send it in. And then I'll get a lot of times give feedback of like, Hey, you know what? You never really addressed what happens when like you get kicked in the open water swim. We probably want to address that. Like it, so being able to give feedback, I think helps too. Yeah. And your, um, experience as an athlete, as an iron woman, we'll say, um, <laughs> definitely helps you like preemptively know a lot of the things that people will go through that are probably kind of the most like excitable times for those, you know, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the anxiety to rise and all of that. So um, yeah. I mentioned that I have had several athletes who have worked with you and one of them, Stephanie, agreed that I can use her as an example when I'm talking to you today. So thanks, Steph. Um, she has worked with you on like open water swim anxiety, right? And so had struggled with that in the past and it had kind of really, she had like, we thought she had overcome it for a while. We were like, this is great. Steph's like a new person, right? Like she can totally conquer open water. And then this past season, that anxiety totally resurfaced and it resurfaced like almost worse than ever before. Right. And so she came to you again. And ultimately I think like, well, you can talk a little bit about how you worked with her on this. Um, 
because I think you had helped her to some realizations that really helped kind of find the root of the problem here. Yeah. So I know when, when she reached out and was saying this, and one of the things that she said was along the lines of like, I don't know why it's this bad right now. Like, I don't know why I'm having this much anxiety around open water. And that for me is always not a red flag that like, there's something wrong with her or like in that sense, but more of the red flag that we need to figure out what the root of this is. And that's, uh, that played a big part in maybe looking for other causes um, and I know we kind of came to a conclusion that some of, I, definitely not all of, but definitely also a part of this anxiety was related to just her nerves around being in Kona as an athlete for the first time anyway, and some mm-hmm. other stuff. And it it's sometimes hard to see those connections, but that's where I look of like, if the intensity of the anxiety that you have doesn't really make sense for you. You're like, I know I'm a little nervous about swimming in the ocean, but I don't feel like I'm at like a level eight for example, of like anxiety, but for some reason I am, that to me says that there's something else that's causing it to go up. Or if you're like, I don't know why I'm feeling these emotions. Like, I don't feel like I should be feeling these. Or I don't really, not not like you shouldn't be feeling them, but like, it just doesn't feel like it's matching up for what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. There's usually more going on there. And the tricky thing is that sometimes it doesn't really matter if there is or not, because you still have to address well, either way, she was having open water anxiety, right? So it's like, we mm-hmm. still want to address that. And as I said, like being in the ocean, if you're not used to open water swimming in the ocean, that's absolutely a part of it. So we want to want to look at that. Um, but I yeah, thought one it, of the interesting yeah. things too, that in talking to her was that you, you were able to see like based on her Instagram posts too, like some of the mm-hmm words that she was choosing around like her Kona posts and things like that to, you know, not like call her out, but just to like, show that maybe she's not really thinking it, but like, clearly it is coming out in various ways that like she, that there are nerves surrounding this whole, you know, event and it's probably seeping into the other stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's also part of why I really do believe in a like taking a longer term approach towards this and that I had gotten to know her pretty well from when we worked together the first time. And then, you know, I can't just look solely at someone's Instagram post and go, Oh, you have this going on. But like, when she basically would say, I'm having a lot of open water anxiety. And if I would point blank ask her, do you feel like you have a lot of Kona anxiety? She'd be like, nope, not really. And that's when I can be like, I trust that that's really what you mean. And you're not, you know how we all like lie a little bit at the doctor about things. Yeah. Like it wasn't that version. Like I yeah. knew she meant it, but then I could see, you know, what she was saying, like, there's something here and your brain's just not letting you see it. And so how do we see it? How do we address those underlying things? but also like open water swimming is a thing. And like, I feel like almost like the short version is our brains are going to default to the stressor that it's most familiar with, Hmm. if that makes sense. So like whenever we're in a really stressful situation, whether that's related to racing and it's a new distance, it's a new thing. We're just, we're overwhelmed or anxious, or it could be in life, but we like default to our almost like bad habits, if you will, or the things that it knows are coping mm-hmm. mechanisms. And even if they're not helpful, and even if we think we've overcome them, we tend to default back to them really quickly because it's like that connection in our brain is so strong and so easy for it to activate. So that was another thing of being able to see, hey, I think I think that this is more related to Kona and less the open water. Yeah. It's an easy thing to go to. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, on the topic of swimming, swim anxiety tips, I think our listeners would be 
furious at me if I let you move on to the next question without asking you for um, any tips for open water swim anxiety, because we do, we have, a, a, Haley and I see a lot of mailback questions about this topic. And it is like for people who didn't grow up swimming, maybe open water, just like aren't comfortable in it. It's so, so common in our sport. So could you throw our listeners a bow and maybe give them one or two tips that you have people work on with this? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give two that I feel like I give almost every athlete. Um, and one is probably not the one that people want to hear or just kind of a weird one. You don't have to love it. You do not have to enjoy open water swimming. And it sounds kind of silly, especially if we're triathletes and we're like, I should like what I'm doing. I shouldn't hate it. There is a difference between hating it, tolerating it and liking it. Right. And sometimes even just getting rid of that liking and going, I just, I need to just do it. And I can be kind of unhappy while I'm doing it. It allows you to get out of the cycle where you're like, I need to like this. And then you get in and you don't like it. And then you're beating yourself up for not enjoying it. So this even is, just, okay, go ahead. Yeah. This is so funny. Cause I remember when Stephanie like had that revelation and she said, she said, I don't have to like it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I was in the process of swimming training for one water at that like time. Right. And I was like, yeah, I hate my like Sunday afternoon 5k open water swims. It's like scary. There's boats. It's like stressful. I was like, I would rather be doing a million other things. She was like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, but you just have to do it. Right. Like you like, but I think that revelation that, yeah, it's just, it's part of the process, I guess, but letting yourself like be free of the weight of like feeling like you need to love it. Right. It's probably great for people. Yeah. And just, just trying to get out of that cycle of forcing something. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that can be a really great place to start. The other thing, I guess it's more like a concept than, and there is a tip with it, but open water anxiety is different than a lot of other anxiety that we experience around sport because open water is one of the only anxieties, if you will, that actually has like a real danger element to it. Mm -hmm. And so so like if like I know as someone learning how to mountain bike, I had a lot of anxiety about just like falling over. And I felt like there was a danger element. There could be, but also some of the trails I was on, like there wasn't. Like I could yeah. <laughs> put my foot down very easily. I could just walk my bike over the log. Like the the level of actual danger that I was in was very low. And so learning to manage and overcome that type of anxiety is one thing. But like if you put someone in open water who is having a lot of anxiety and you're like, feel the fear and do it anyway that's not helpful. And you're then strengthening that association for that person in open water with anxiety. Instead, it's almost like addressing and understanding your brain is panicking and feeling all this, this anxiety, because there really does feel like almost a life or death situation here. And even if there might not be, it just feels very, very real. And so looking at how can you make your brain feel safe? And that might be in the beginning, swimming closer to shore and just letting yourself know I can do this and I will not die. And like intellectually, you know that you're going to be okay, like most of the time, but getting your brain to not activate into that fight or flight and just like letting it feel like it's safe and okay. And then slightly pushing those boundaries. I know sometimes I'll tell athletes when they're doing practice swims, like let yourself stop or let your brain know that you're allowed to stop nine times out of 10, they do not stop, but just Hmm. giving themselves that permission of I can stop. It's okay. I will not be like stranded out in the middle of the ocean and die. Their brain needs that amount of reassurance. And it's just so different because it's, it's not something where intellectually we're thinking that way. It's like 
the primal part of your brain is responding. So we have to address the primal part of the brain, not the like very intellectual part of our brain. So what about this? And you can yeah. totally tell me here that this is like not something to tell other people. So, but, uh, <laughs> I listened to a podcast once with Alex Honnold, who, you know, mm -hmm. free solo guy, right? And so does like gnarly stuff. And the guy was just talking to him about the concept of being afraid, right? And he mm -hmm. said like, no, I'm, I'm afraid all the time. Like what I'm doing is scary as anything, you know, like this is super scary stuff. And I'm not like, he's not, again, he's not a superhuman in that he doesn't feel the fear, but what he like kind of gets around that by, he like recognizes that the feelings that he feels of fear are actually the same feelings you get when you're like excited to do something. And so that helped him kind of rationalize that it's just like his brain causing these feelings. Right. But like he goes through his checklist of safety things and like whatever. And like, you know, that feeling is like almost arbitrary. Like it's just your body's like response to do things. And so he, you know, again, he goes through his safety checks and makes sure he's not doing anything like out, you know, totally in left field and things like that. But then is just kind of able to like, keep that at bay by being like, that feels like anxiety, but it also feels like excitement. Right. And it's like just a feeling. So I think that's kind of similar to what you're saying. Right. And like, that's definitely something I've started telling myself a lot when I've like learned to try and ski and <laughs> learned to mountain bike down scary stuff. Right. Like I'm feeling this feeling and that's okay, but you know, go through your checklists and then it's, you know, it's, it's just like a response from your brain to body that you can kind of think your way through. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And I do like completely agree with that. The only place where I really would say that's hard for athletes is when they don't feel like they have that checklist. Mm -hmm. And that's where, like, I know sometimes I've heard with mountain bikers who don't feel like they have the skill set yet to stop if they're like mid crash or they don't know how to do something. They're like, mm -hmm. I can't override that part of my brain or tell myself that like, this is normal to feel it. And still like, because they really don't know what the safety piece of it is. Mm -hmm. And like, I've had people that are open water swimming and they're like, yeah, the kayakers like aren't paying attention. And so if you're scared and you feel like your safety pieces aren't like yeah. there or doing mm -hmm. their job, it is really hard to, to do that piece. But like, I know I've even experienced kind of similar of open water swimming and having a moment of, Ooh, I feel a little farther out, but then going, I know I'm okay. I know I can roll on my back if I need to. Like, I know I can float very mm -hmm. well. Okay. The very basic of it, if I could just float on my back <laughs> for 20 minutes and be fine. I know yeah. my husband's over there. I know there's cable rate. Like I can identify all those things and know that I'm fine. But if you have the athlete who like can't float or doesn't have the kayaker with them and doesn't have the safety pieces, mm -hmm. that's where it's like, that's where things get tricky, but it, it, to some extent it is just figuring out like what works for you and your situation and getting yourself to the place where you can go. I have all my safety pieces. I have all of these things. I know what I can do if I feel anxious mm -hmm. because sometimes we're not completely getting rid of the anxiety. And I, I mean, as someone who's been swimming for like 25 years now, like I still sometimes get in open water and get a little bit nervous, mm -hmm. whether that's, it's really cold and it takes my breath away or I'm more by myself than I would like to be. And it, just I'm very aware of that. And it's not about not ever having anxiety, but it's about knowing what to do should those things pop up, whether that's self-talk or I'm just going to roll on my back and float for a few seconds. Like I still do that sometimes. I know that yeah. it's a good use, right? Yep. Like, <laughs> yep. Um, so some people, Shannon, might be hesitant to get a mental skills coach because they already have a regular coach, right? And so 
they're like, I don't know, these two people are like separate and, and, you know, how is this going to work? And it just might be one of those questions that lingers and then they don't take the step, you know? And so I actually found it really fun when athletes are working with you and they come to me as part of like their homework or whatever we were calling it, right? Not yeah. homework. Um, because I think it's, it's good. It gives me like another perspective of what angle to approach certain things from where like the holes are in my own coaching with people in terms of like not prepping them for certain things too, you know? And so can you talk a little bit about how you encourage their athlete to like work with their regular coach if, you know, and then I guess, yeah, how that kind of unfolds for most athletes. Yeah. So I, I never want, almost never want to go against coaches. I think like only once or twice have I heard something that's like kind of crazy, but for the most part, that is absolutely not my goal. I, I know in having worked with multiple athletes of yours, kind of how you are as a coach or types of things that they want and stuff. So I know that I can, I feel very comfortable if someone brings something to me of like, I don't know what training is going to look like down the road. And I feel like I need to prepare on that. That's a big source of anxiety. I understand, like, I feel comfortable in saying, Hey, why don't you just even shoot her an email of like, where are we going with this? It doesn't have to be the specific workouts, but just, are we going to be doing super, super, super long days or like what general gist of where we're going? So sometimes it's something like that. Um, and I do a lot of times with, with clients, like ask kind of upfront of some, very general stuff about the coaches of is your coach someone who's open to whether it's feedback or just being like, Hey, I find it really helpful when you give me this type of information or like I've had a couple, you know, athletes who worked with coaches who did not seem super open or receptive to certain comments and stuff. And so we can work, we can work with that. Um, mm -hmm. I like the, I love when I can collaborate with coaches and really be like, Hey, let's either, find time to even talk about the athletes and what, what can be helpful or working together. But I never feel like it needs to conflict or contradict. And that's never my goal or where I'm trying to go with things. Even if, you know, I I've done some coaching. I'm currently a swim coach, like high school swim coach. Like, even if I hear something that's like, I think a terrible plan, like I'm never someone who's going to be like, your coach does not know what they're talking about. It's more, how do we figure out what's going to work best for you so that you feel that, that support, um, I really am just trying to stay on the mental side of things. And I understand what goes into the physical side of training and can say, you know, I had an athlete who was really nervous about all the hills at Olympic trials for the marathon a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. And she was only ever doing her runs on super, super flat roads. And mm -hmm. so that might be something of, well, if the hills are a large source of anxiety, perhaps we could incorporate them. And <laughs> that was something where she had to reach out to her coach and say, well, most of my workouts are kind of designed to be done on flatter trails or something, or maybe we need to adjust, um, adjust some of the paces for a hillier route. Mm -hmm. Like that might be a suggestion of how to work with, you know, change some stuff, but typically it's like, how do we, how do we work collaboratively, um, and never try to like overstep in that sense. Yeah. Because you do work with high level athletes too. And I mean, there is certainly something to be said about like some high level coaches, right. Are, they're there to coach. They're there to give you your workouts that are going to, what they have their vision of what gets you to the best success. Right. And I think there is like a time, like I've been an athlete who has been with coaches like that. And I think it was actually good for me in some times in my life, right. To be in those kind of environments and work around that. And like, you know, those kinds of coaches still have 
funny to offer. Um, so it is good to know that like, yeah, there's ways to work with, with all types of coaches as, as people would work with you. And Shannon, we're in the off season. Well, I think most people are in the off season, I would say. And this is a time when like everyone's talking about next year, people want to be setting their goals. And I was looking on your website and you actually have a workbook called set better goals. So I was hoping that maybe you could give a little teaser about that and like what makes the goal kind of better when you set it. Yeah. So I'm not sure at the time that I created, I don't know if better is necessarily like the best word that I picked, but I know I created this workbook. I want, I think it was over 2020, like somewhere in that COVID period. Um, but I was just seeing so much about goal setting and I didn't like any of it. <laughs> like as an athlete, as a person, I would just be like, either this is flat out wrong or I, it just doesn't feel like it works for me. And I know, I know smart goals is very popular. I know smarter goals is very popular. I don't even remember what ENR stand for, but like all these different models and setups. And I just felt like when I would go to do them, I'd have goals that I didn't care about. And it would be like, you know, if it's smart, make it specific. I'm like, well, I don't know. So for example, like I'm training kind of will be soon training for um, masters nationals for like uh, master swimming, mm -hmm. uh, pool swimming. I don't yet have time goals. I shouldn't have time goals yet because I need to get out and race more and figure out where I'm going to be. Like if I set those goals, I just don't have enough data yet to really, I guess, accurately be setting those time goals. And I would find that a lot of the goal setting models would be like set, you know, set the specific time. How many days a week are you going to swim? How many, and then if I said four days a week and I couldn't get to the pool four days that week, I felt like I was doing something wrong and struggling. And it just, I know intellectually, like you can be flexible, but that also, I was just being set up. I felt like to not really mm -hmm. succeed. So I just wanted to give people a way to set goals that allowed them to pick goals that they actually wanted to be setting and not the like, oh, I did a 5k. So now my next goal is a 10k mm -hmm. and follow the like very social media society tells me to set these goals. And just like, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? what gets you excited about it? Um, and I know one thing that I really, really like about the workbook is there's a whole section in there. I'm just like, what did you like most last year? Like, when did you have the most fun? What races did you like? What experiences did you have that really allowed you to either like feel really proud of yourself, just have a lot of joy. And I see a lot of people will report back on stuff related to like I went to more group runs than usual or like I did this race for fun with my best friend and I had a lot of fun. And that doesn't mean that you can't still set the big scary goal of whatever like the time-based goal is, but also incorporating, I, I want to make sure I can still do my Tuesday group run. No matter how serious my training is, I still need that time with my friends and they can both coexist. And I just really wanted a way for people to be able to yeah, just explore the goals that they wanted to set in a way that worked for them. So like there's some structure and guidelines, but there's also a lot of like vague questions so you can explore it. And like, I want, I want people to be able to set goals as if social media doesn't exist, <laughs> almost as if like they were invisible and nobody ever knew that they set the goal or accomplished it. Like, well, <laughs> what would you do if nobody cared in the slightest what you did? What yes. are you drawn to do? Because the ultimate question. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that. So yeah. And so that's probably, that's probably the answer to my next question too, really is like, how do you encourage people to, to pick those races, right? Based on 
like what they think they need to do versus what they actually want to do. Like, I think that's a great place to start probably, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know I've given people different versions of like, if you were on Mars, if you moved to Canada, like just whatever kind of like clicks in your head of what, what sounds fun, what sounds exciting, what, what gets you motivated. And I know there's all that talk about like, what's your why, what's your deeper purpose. And I think all of that, I think those are great questions and great ways to explore. There's still a way that you can make that the more social media presentable version of those things. Um, but yeah, like what, if, if none of it mattered and you had to just do it, like, what is the thing that really gets you excited? And even like, interestingly, it's okay to not set a goal. It's okay. If you're like, I don't have that thing right now. And maybe you need time to figure out what that is. But I see a lot of people who are like, I'm actually not really sure. Like I, nothing's really pulling me. So then they just sign up for another marathon or Ironman or some like big race. And then they're not fully committed to the like, magnitude of what that race is that they signed up for so they're kind of slacking on training so they're not as into it and then they're like getting frustrated that their training's not as good their performance isn't as good it's like did you even want to do that really big thing that you signed up to do and then it leads to burn it just like none of it's great so it's like you can still do those big things nothing against that at all but like what what actually excites you and it is a hard thing to get to sometimes I have to like poke around for people of asking, asking various questions to them, but that that's where I, or how I approach it. And what about someone who, you know, wants to maybe start to dabble in developing their mental skills? Um, is there like a daily practice or two that you would recommend to someone who, you know, wants to start kind of sharpening things and maybe doesn't know where to start? Yeah. If you're someone who likes to, um, have like a to-do list and cross something off. I'm a big fan of meditation. Uh, it can be one minute, five minute, 20 minute, whatever. Um, there's a lot of free apps out there. There's a lot of not free apps out there. Just pick something you like. Uh, and I think that makes you feel very accomplished, but there's also a lot of benefit in doing it. I love meditation for just even helping you learn like focus and awareness. I don't know. I think a lot of people, I guess I should say, go into it thinking, oh, this is going to teach me how to like calm down and I'm going to quiet my mind and I'm going to meditate before my race. And then they're like, but my nerves didn't go away. No, no. I think even it just helps you learn and like be able to shift your thoughts when they're going somewhere that's not the most helpful. Um, so I, I always am a big fan of meditation, but then on the more or the less tangible side of things, I'd say getting comfortable practicing shifting your thoughts and even just identifying your thoughts as helpful or unhelpful mm -hmm. and you know it could even be you're in the car right you're driving down the road someone cuts you off and the thoughts you have I'm sure are not good uh they're they're probably not helpful in that moment and that's normal that's fine but even just being able to identify mm -hmm. those are not particularly helpful I don't need to change my thoughts when someone cuts me off in the car to like, oh, that was so kind of you. We're friends. Like, you don't have to force the positivity on it, but even just what's a more helpful way of looking at this? And it can just be like, I'm really annoyed, but spending the next like 30 minutes yelling in my car to this person who can't hear me, that's not, not a good waste or good use of like my time. So mm -hmm. it, it, it just really learning how to reframe those thoughts in all areas of your life so that when you're out on that run, you're in that race, you're doing whatever the thing is, even like parenting and being able to, hey, these thoughts aren't particularly helpful. 
what can I switch it to that's going to be more helpful? And it's going to be the process becomes easier the more you practice it. I love it. I love it. And I noticed on um, in your work that you you work one on one with athletes and then you also work one on one with coaches, which I think is fabulous because I think there's so many people out there who have great things to share and maybe imposter syndrome is kind of standing in the way and they just can't quite you know, find that confidence to take the plunge. And it sounds like you're someone who, you know, in college, you were like helping coach some of the other swimmers who were nervous. Right. And like, I think I, I had a very similar experience where like, you know, I was like coaching the tri team, right. In the later years when I was in college and things like that, where I, I sought those opportunities and it was, it was very natural to me to find them. But I think that, isn't that way for everyone. And I think a lot of people think about coaching and just feel lost and, and, you know, need kind of a roadmap, which is what you, I think have created. And so can you talk a little bit about your work with coaches? And I think you have an like occasional class that you, or course that you kind of take coaches through. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know I started really working with coaches when I started working with teams, like college teams, and I talked to the coaches and they had a lot of times you know, want to know what we talked about in sessions with ask, sessions with the athletes, but then it would quickly turn into like, oh, well, how can I help reinforce that? Or can you just explain this to me or something? Because I realized pretty quickly that coaches are not given a lot of education in sports psychology. And the education that is often provided is pretty subpar. And that's not to say every course, every certification, whatever. Um, it, there's just not a lot that's out there. And so most coaches their approach to sports psych or mental skills training is just what has worked for them. And that is in a way a great place to start because at least it's something, but we're all different. And so how I would need to approach being super nervous for a race might be completely different than how you would approach that. And if you have coaches who are only telling their, you know, their athletes and their clients here, do this thing that worked for me. And then it doesn't work for their athletes a lot of times then the athletes just feel like a failure or like like something's wrong with them because it's not working. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted coaches to feel more empowered in helping their clients and their athletes and being able to understand a little bit more of why things happen just in the same way that most coaches will do like a little bit in nutrition, you know, they'll learn about nutrition, they'll learn about strength and conditioning, exercise science a little bit. I wanted to provide that piece on the, on the mental side for them but also be able to even give them some applied stuff of like, if you have, if you have a runner who's let's say like very perfectionistic and that runner, if you were going, Hey, I want you to do like mile repeats at, I want you to hit seven thirty. that athlete that hits seven thirty two, they feel like they failed that repeat. And the coach might be going, no, like that's, that's fine. That's right there. But to the athlete, if they hit that on the first one, no, like they, they didn't do well. So then they're going into the next one all right, like I failed that first one. So I really got to hit this next one. And it's impacting how they're approaching the whole workout. So being able to help coaches even just recognize what things like, like perfectionism looks like, what does low confidence look like and sound like, like if you're using training peaks, what types of comments are they leaving for you? What does that look like and sound like? And then how can you adjust things in the training that you're giving them? So maybe it's, you're going, oh, for that one athlete, I'm going to give them a range instead of you have to hit 730 can hit 725 to 735. That might be the shift they need. Or even going, I need to scale it back a little bit because some athletes would rather fail the workout and know that they got as close as they could. And others, 
if they fail at all, they, they shut down completely. So being able to make those slight adjustments with how you're writing workouts and how you're giving feedback to your athletes, that's the piece that I really wanted for coaches to have because they just didn't feel like it really existed for them. I love that. I hope that you might be opening another session of that coming up in 2024. So um, people can keep an eye out for that. And Shannon, I've used a lot of your time now, but I do have one other question for you because I think this time of year is a common one where um, training camps are happening and kind of squads are meeting up for like, you know, just um, get out of the winter type of training and things like that. And it can be super fun, but it can be so, so stressful for people. Right. And so, um, you know, what would you say first, like, do you agree that these types of environments are helpful? Right. And for athletes and, um, you know, if it does cause stress and anxiety for people, like, you know, what would you tell someone who still really might want to go and be with their teammates and like do that? Right. Yeah. So I typically, I typically will give athletes, um, a, like, what do you want to get out of this and kind of establishing what matters most to them in it. And some of them really will say like, I just want to go somewhere warmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to be with my teammates and I, it's okay if the workouts themselves aren't that great, or I don't, you know, hit any spectacular paces or numbers on them. I just want to enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But knowing why you're going and what you want to be getting out of it. And unfortunately, sometimes people do sign up for, for camps or clinics that maybe they shouldn't be going to or aren't the right fit for them. Um, and that's that's kind of different. But if you are, you know, you're going establish what you want to get out of it, give yourself some amount of like, how do you take care of yourself as a person? Because I know, uh, and this might not be where you're going with this, but I know someone who's very introverted, like a camp like that can feel overwhelming. And I mm. don't always personally feel like I get time to like as the athlete, I don't always feel like I get the time to kind of just shut down and be by mm. myself. So when I'm not getting that time, I know that I'm more on edge. I'm more nervous. I'm more stressed out. So then I'm more likely to handle little things that come up in training. I'm more likely to handle them poorly or in not the best way. So just even like, what do I need to take care of myself? And even if it's like, I'm going to take 20 minutes to just go by myself for a little bit somewhere. So I can like just read or whatever it is to take care of me so that when I am with the group, I can get the most out of it and not be tremendously overwhelmed. Like little things, just like make sure you're hydrating, make mm-hmm. sure you're sleeping, like do sometimes just like do those basics. And it does, it does help a lot. Um, but also like embrace, embrace the environment you're going to be in. They, they're all different. So it's a little hard, but like just take care of you, I guess. I love it. I love it. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for taking your time today to kind of give us some teasers about, uh, the benefits of, you know, tuning up mental skills and what is the best way for listeners to reach you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Mulcahy performance. So that's just my last name performance. Um, my website is mulcahyperformance.com and then my email is also mulcahyperformance at gmail.com. So everything is last name performance at something. Thank you so much. I I'm sure our paths will cross again sometime soon, somehow. So thanks for the time today, Shannon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Alyssa, after talking to Shannon, I am curious, is there a single takeaway that you took away from that conversation that you are going to try to apply to yourself in the new year? Definitely. I think when she talked about, you know, the tip about like, you don't have to love it, right? You, she was talking specifically about the swim kind of, and being like, you know, it's okay to not to like let go of this pressure to feel like you need to really enjoy it and love it, right? You can just kind of 
do it and accept it for what it is at that like place in your life of something you don't really love, but you're going to do because you do love triathlon, right? So I think that is kind of an interesting angle to see swimming um, for some, some people and then, you know, other things um, in your life as well. So that's definitely something that I will take into my own life and maybe find ways to, you know, offer to other people as well as a little tip. Right. So maybe like, I don't love vacuuming, but I love a clean house. So (laughs) I just got to get through it, (laughs) you know, just blast some Garth Brooks or blast some Taylor Swift in my ears and just, uh, do it and get it done. And I'll like the result and overarching theme of life, but cool conversation. Alyssa, we need to remind our listeners that we are actually taking a two-week holiday break. So we will have some episodes rebroadcast, some of our favorites from the year, but otherwise we'll be back ready with new content and new chatting in the new year. Happy holidays, Haley. I can't wait to catch up with you in 2024. Bye, Alyssa. You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Atitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.